Tonight, you folks at home and we here in the Coliseum will watch history in the making. The first game ever for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Farm to Table Studios located on County Road 42 in Nicollet and Burnsville featuring six local farmers. Taste the Difference award winning. This is The Howl. The Howl is a proud member of the CLNS Media Network and can be found on clnsmedia.com as well as Podient, iTunes and Stitcher. We would also like to welcome everybody to the Nothing But Net channel on dash radio nothing but net is a channel like no other featuring all teams and all topics from everybody's favorite league the nba the howl is brought to you by our wonderful supporting partners rhyme sayers entertainment the pinnacle of underground hip-hop worldwide studio 23 where passion reigns supreme and isabel street heat adding a bit of spice into your everyday life I am the Nick Holes of the radio world, your host, Kevin Draves. To my right is Aaron taking it to the whole Groshong, the producer of the show. And to my left is none other than Rob Beefy Arms Hess, and he is the jack of all trades for the program. First quarter, we will look back at the games that were and preview the week ahead for both the Timberwolves and the Iowa Wolves. Tonight, we also interviewed Jordan Malley from Locked On Bulls. We will be discussing the Jimmy Butler trade as well as taking a look at the upcoming matchup between the Bulls and the Wolves. Second quarter again is our talker segment. This week, we have a good dose of both Wolves and general NBA and WNBA topics. Stop what you are doing and listen, give us all of your attention. It's Howl time. Quarter one of the Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. This is where we will break down the Wolves week that was and take a look ahead to the Timber Pups schedule, as well as the Iowa Wolves. Uh, Wolves had four games that we're going to cover. Take a look back on uh, two road games, two home games. First game, guys. This was the trap game. This was the game that everybody that we were all 100% confident on the wolves uh, traveled to Phillips arena in Atlanta to take on the basement dwelling Atlanta Hawks. Doesn't it make you angry? You lose this game. This is one of the, this has been one of the themes for the wolves this season is they always find a way to one up their worst loss. Yep. I, I, to me, this is the worst loss of the season just because you were rolling, you were playing really well. 
and I get that it's on the road. And and kudos to the Hawks, by the way. They've gotten a few nice home wins, but still, you can't you can't lose this game. Yeah, I believe is it five in a row consecutive wins for the Hawks against Western Conference opponents? It seems outrageous to think that they can be that successful, but they were. And really, when I was watching this, it just it's like a comedy of errors, and then you you sense like you don't even have to watch much of this game. You could have watched maybe a three minute portion anywhere between the first, second and third quarters and said, the wolves aren't going to win this thing. Eight shot attempts for towns. That's not enough. Well, and that is this game. I think of any of the games this week really drew attention to the issues with towns getting up shots. I believe before the Hawks game, he had only shot less than 10 times was it two or three times in his career? And now he's done it a handful of times just within the last couple weeks. There were some weird stats in this game. Like Tyus Jones was a minus 10 in 13 minutes. I mean, that's not real common. I mean, it's frustrating. I will will say this for me was the worst loss of the season. The other was the Brooklyn Nets game. Yes. Um, The Suns games were frustrating too. And, but you know what? Extent. And here's the here's the problems with the Suns games. And we lost two two games to the Suns. That was early on where we were able to chalk up. Well, we're new together. We're yeah, working. It was just frustrating. With, you know, with Devin Booker missing games, and you still lose to him. No doubt. But these games now, when you no longer have those chemistry issues, the other one that kills me is the Grizzlies loss oh, because yeah. yes. there, there was. I mean, who was even playing on the Grizzlies? Um. It's brutal. Um, Kevin and I talked about it. Uh, we went and shot some hoops the other night and we were talking about it while we were playing. And, you know, you'd said, you know, kind of it, it happens. Right. And, yeah. and my response was, but it shouldn't y- y- exactly. Like, I, I got, I can't remember what you said, Kevin. It was something. I said that there's games that, that every team with the exception of the warriors, in my opinion, there's games that you're, that you're, supposed to win and there's game that you're that you're supposed to lose and you know the the, it balances out you find your balances and the wolves blowing out the cavaliers and then turning around and losing to the hawks it's a balance either way in those two games the wolves more or less are expected to go one and one maybe not the way that it actually happened but the wolves are expected to go one and one and they did in those two specific games obviously it's a horrible loss to a horrible team, but the wolves blew out the Cavs by what? 30 something points. So in the grand scheme of things, it's going to happen. You know, Jeff T going one for 12. I mean, we can't not glaze over that. Um, It was known going into this game. He had some issues with his wrist. You wonder why he plays 34 minutes. And I get it. You're going up against Dennis Schroeder, who's a very good guard in the East. However, I believe Tyus Jones could have easily handled 20 plus minutes in this game, especially when you can tell the guy doesn't have it going. Teague was definitely bothered, right? I I just don't understand it. For me, that's on the coach. Um, Then he pulls a Chris Weber. Call that the timeout when there's no, when you don't have one. Well, that's another it was thing. A five we should, second inbound issue. No, but but the point was just like he clearly was just out of sorts. You know what I'm saying? I get that the timeout wasn't the issue, 
but it was just like a, a symptom of a bigger problem. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a technical fall called on the play, but the bottom line is it's another. And Rob, this is the funniest thing. I had not, I had not even talked to Rob. I had just called you really quick. We were discussing something else. And I said, Wolves lost the Hawks. <laughs> you had recorded the game, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, I bet us some sidelines out of bounds. <laughs> we blew it on literally to the yep. T exactly what happened. I mean, that's been a problem all year is that we can't get the ball in bounds at the end of games. I'm surprised nobody is talking about this. I, I am not hearing any, and I'm not trying to say, Oh, listen to the howl on dash radio because we're going to give you the only scoops and takes on these items. I'm just saying, I'm not hearing it from any other media source that watches and covers the wolves on why our plays drawn out of timeouts, sidelines out of bounds, baselines out of bounds. So bad. It's bad. It's, it's really not bad. good at all. And, and really our end of game scenarios of this, of get it to Jim, you know, figure out how we can get it to Jimmy and let that just happen. I see nothing. I see nothing. That's, overly difficult for a defense to protect against. So when I coached high school basketball, uh, I was in, I'll just give you an example. When I coached, we had players on our team that could literally come into a huddle and be like, Hey, what about this play? So like kids can design plays. How, why can't fibs design plays or any of his assistant coaches? I mean, somebody, somebody figure out a way to get the ball in bounce because even when we do, how difficult does it look like it's not easy. So it's frustrating. I'll, I'll tell you this. I play in a rec league, uh, a couple cities over from here. We don't even draw plays up and out of, out of timeouts. And we still have better inbound plays mm-hmm. than the Minnesota Timberwolves have. Like if you watch, we don't even set picks. It seems like it's just guys running around. No. It's the chicken without his head. Like it's just everyone running around and no one has any idea what they're doing. You know, I wish I had more time on my hands. If anybody listening is good with video editing and that's sort of your cup of tea please do this pull up you know can we make a compilation video of out of bounds out of bounds plays and that and that alone and let's just play that and watch that because you will see what we're talking about it's not good and really for me this is going to come bite us not this loss it's going to be poor execution at the end of the game is going to cost us a playoff win when we get there yep all right are we, uh, is it safe to say we can move on from yes, this game? Let's go, let's very, on. very much. So uh, the wolves then travel uh, all the way North, even further North than Minnesota up to Toronto to play the Raptors at the air Canada center. And this was frustrating for a lot of different reasons, guys, the wolves playing one of the top teams in the East. Uh, they led basically through three quarters, pretty convincingly only to watch a, last year wolves team resurface in a sense of giving away that fourth quarter lead. At least this is a good team though. And you're playing on the road. I mean, the Toronto Raptors are one of the, you know, four or five best teams in the league. And wasn't this a second night of a back-to-back or did they have a night? Yeah, this is our back-to-back right here. Yeah. So, and this, this was actually listed as a schedule loss, like, yep. you know, prior to the game, they talk about during the season, you have games that you're probably going to lose due to schedule fatigue. This would be one of them. What's tough is I think at one point we were up 13, was it? And then the second quarter. Yeah, right around there. We were rolling. We looked really good. You come out of halftime. And again, not to, I don't know if I'm trying to really call out the coach, but I just, my expectations are higher. I feel as if here we are, guys, we're on the back to back halftime. 
we've controlled the game. Toronto had not played well. You got to figure out a way to bring that thing home. And, and furthermore, you start the fourth quarter with the lead, albeit a small one. The Raptors are, you can tell they're making a run. You know what? I, I look at it like this. You've played this much. You've come this far. Give it everything you got for the last 12 minutes. I feel it, like we must have been tired though. You know what I mean? Because we did play well most of this game, but the fourth quarter we got dominated. I think fatigue set in. I didn't really see like Jeff fatigue. I didn't really see. <laughs> yeah. Well, he actually had a decent game. Six for nine shooting. Yeah, but like, his he only didn't really three. do anything else. Well, what he did do was he turned down some open looks and I think the wrist was still bothering him. I agree. Which that is a frustration and that's difficult on an offense. But I didn't see like fatigued shots. I just seen it almost looked like they just sort of lost themselves for a little bit. Maybe if any fatigue was there, it was mental fatigue. What's frustrating is Kyle Lowry shoots 40% from the field. DeRozan 33%. DeRozan had a horrible game. I mean, you got, that's a game you have to win. You know, the other problem too, though, is they didn't turn the ball over eight turnovers on the game. That's not normally the case. The wolves are usually really good at getting turnovers. Well, I, I hate to say it, but the turnovers seem to not matter because not only, I mean, we don't turn the ball over much at all, which is great, but somehow whenever we like turn over less than 10 times in a game, I feel like we lose the majority of those. Also, if we turn the other team over, we're horrible at getting points off of turnovers. I don't yeah, know. Where, are, I don't know are. where we rank right now. I haven't. Pull, I haven't pulled up that stat. At best, we're probably league average. Oh, at best. So, I, I just can, it's, it's tough. Can Can I just talk on one thing that Go was prevalent it. during the Hawks game as well? But this really bugged me, and and I I tweeted about it immensely during the beginning of the game. I think it was right around halftime. Let's see. Uh, so I had one tweet, how on God's green freaking earth does Carl Anthony towns only have one shot so far. And I think that was right around the second quarter. Um, and then since my last tweet, he doubled his shot total and made both. So he had two shots, two for two. And what he ended up with, uh, seven field goals in this game against the Raptors field goal attempts made four. I can tell you this much. Serge Ibaka got away with almost murder that entire game. At every given moment, he was two hands hooking him, tugging on his jersey, pulling him. Mm -hmm. I I will add, Serge is smart about it because he had two things going for him. When he would pull and push and tug and do whatever he could do, that would be a fall. He was doing it when the refs weren't seeing him. Like they had their backs turned or was on the backside of the play. And then further... He was doing it as much as until the refs would call it. Yeah. So again, the players going to, if you're going to allow him to do that, I mean, so it's hard. It, it, it's, it's difficult. And, and Serge is a good player. You can't have a good player guard. You also and get away with fault. Yeah. Exactly. Wolves, wolves lose this game. One Oh four, one Oh nine. They get a night's rest and they travel home. The start of super bowl weekend in Minneapolis and Aaron, Rob, I was at this game and the stars came out. It was actually really cool to see. It kind of felt like we were at a game in L.A. at the Staples Center with the the top tier level talent that was sitting in the stands uh, as the Wolves took on uh, Aaron, yours and my guy, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, guys like Bill Belichick, Antonio Brown, Gucci Mane, Ray Shrummerd, uh Floyd Mayweather made a second half appearance. 
Uh, so it was really cool to see the celebrities in the stands to watch our timber pups and the wolves delivered in this game. This was, this was a lot of fun for me to watch a, they debuted the city uniforms, which I have to say, look incredible. I was a little worried about the gray, but the, the piping, the, like the, the piping on the sides, the, the lineage on the signs in the back, um, matched with the shorts this this jersey looks really really good i love it i agree the wolves came out and played Jan or uh, uh jimmy butler with his friend antonio brown in the in the stands wire to wire win too by the putting way putting up putting up a show uh for jimmy butler 28 six and four um carl anthony towns look at that 13 shots for carl anthony towns and what does he do 24 and 11 give the guy the ball and good things will happen. A wire to wire win. Giannis got his points and his assists or his points and rebounds, but otherwise nobody else really, I mean, besides Chris Middleton made a huge impact in this game. Eight dimes from Jeff Teague. That's nice to see. Obviously four of seven from the field. He's not taking a ton of shots. And even in this game, he was passing up open shots again. I, he I was know what it is. Well, the rest probably. And what was refreshing to see, like Kevin said, star powers there. You wish that would be every night. What the Wolves do is when there's energy, they really, really play well. I remember Jim Peterson touched on this going back to that Hawks game really quick. There was almost no energy in that arena. He also mentioned how against the Nets, there was no energy. Yes. And I will admit when it's like that, it's hard to it's hard to play up here. You have a full house. You got stars in the building. The energy's up there. New jerseys are on and they bring it as you guys also said, the wire to wire victory Butler, uh, this guy, when the lights are on, he always shows up. It's amazing. I look forward to playoff time because I I can see Butler hitting that big shot when we actually need him. I mean, how many times in the past, Oh, we need somebody to step up and it just never happens. I don't expect that in this Butler era. It's just different. Now the bucks were outclassed. We, we, beat the brakes off of them from the start. And I love this victory. Uh, we take it home. 108 89. Yeah. Great win for the wolves in that one. And then they get a, a, a night off. Oh, by the way, how could I forget Lil John performing at halftime of that game? Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah. That definitely made the whole game worth it for me. In addition to the wolves win what? and getting to see Giannis play uh, wolves, then debut or uh, uh, playing with the uh, Aurora green jerseys Saturday night. Which they, I love, by as, the way. Love yep, those jerseys. Love them. As they take on the New Orleans Pelicans, a team whose identity has changed immensely over the last couple of weeks since the injury to DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, this one was pretty cool, too. Sting, Shaggy, Floyd Mayweather, uh, g yeah, Easy at half. This was fun. Dash Radio's founder, DJ Ski DJ in the building. Ski. He was there throwing yeah. out T-shirts. Yeah, that was really cool to see. Uh, the Wolves, again, another wire-to-wire victory. I love, I love these kind of wins. Uh, and the one I'm going to throw out at you as well, eight of 16 from Carl Anthony towns, 22.16 rebounds. I will say for the Pelican good. side of it, how good is Anthony? I mean, Anthony Davis is legit. I mean, not that anyone was questioning that. But, yeah. I was going to say newsflash. But like, Rob has. What's funny is, so he has 19 points in the first quarter and you're just thinking like what's happening. And he finishes with 38, 38 points is a great game, but it's not that great when you had 19 in the first quarter. Yeah. 19 over the next three. Uh, I was listening to, uh, Wolves radio after the game, uh, I was out and about driving and, uh, I think it was Jimmy. He said, uh, you know, 
Anthony Davis is going to get his points. Like he's, he's an elite player in this league. So one way or another, he's going to find his points. The, the thing you need to do is hold everybody else. And if you can do that, you give yourself the best shot at winning. And besides Anthony Davis, Miritich only really two other players though. were in double figures. And that yep. was Miritich and uh, uh, Czech Diallo. But I think Miritich looked, I mean, he looked really good. This is a nice pickup for them. Again, for anyone that really wants to dive more into the Pelicans, listen to our show from last week where we break this down a little more and we interview Preston Ellis. He kind of looks at this team. A little what, more sh- what show is Preston Ellis on? So he's on the bird calls and he uh, writes for a site or he works with a site called the bird rights. So that's something to keep in mind. And his show also airs on the nothing but net channel that it does. Awesome. Yep. Wednesdays well, and Sundays. I tell you what, Rob, you were at this game. So you felt, felt the vibe. Um, I wasn't there. I was watching it at home. Um, actually started it here. And then me and Kevin shot some hoops. So. And it was wire to wire. Another wire to wire to game. That's two in a row. Yeah, man. And I'll tell you this. People will say, oh, you know, don't you get boring on these blowout games or whatever? No, never. (laughs) If every game could be start to finish, we just are kicking ass every second of the game. I will never get bored of that. They made some runs, though, I will say at being at the game until the end. I didn't feel comfortable just because they've got so many good players on that team. You know, Anthony Davis, Miritich, that could that could catch fire at any moment. I, I never felt real confident until it was over. Well, you know, and, and that's that's the NBA for you, right? But I still will take that start to finish. This was a good, complete game from the Wolves. I didn't really see too many major lapses where it was yep. troubling, like, you know, you're like, come on, or this could linger into the next game. And ultimately, this is the 14th consecutive win on the target center home court for your Minnesota Timberwolves. That's amazing. The thing we do need, though, is we need Jeff Teague to wake up from whatever this funk is. Yeah, Jeff Teague, man, I, I would I would honestly trade him for for a year supply of Chick-fil-A sandwiches I mean, at this point. But see, that's oh if you go on God. Tinder, that's honestly if you go, go on Tinder, what <laughs> you do. Maybe if you go on. Tinder, are you swiping left on Jeff Teague? Around? Are you swiping left on Jeff Teague? You, you don't know, want him? No, my my problem with Jeff Teague is more so <laughs> what a slip are going crazy on Twitter. <laughs> Like, it's like, we want to get, let's, let's trade him for like a bag of balls <laughs> on Tinder. For sure. That would happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but this is ridiculous. I, it's like people forgot how good Jeff Teague has been this season. I mean, he's, he's been solid. I just, I, and it actually, I, I challenge people to go on basketball reference, look up Jeff Teague, compare what he's done this year to last to all his other seasons. And it's the same exact player. His stats are almost identical. So let's not pretend we didn't know what we were getting with this guy. I mean, that's where I'm at. Well, I do want to say one thing before we go. Um, I, I do stand corrected. It, it's not their 14th consecutive win. It, duh, silly me. It's their 12th consecutive win. Potato, potato in my book. 12 consecutive wins for this team and a franchise that hasn't seen the playoffs in forever. I'm taking it. Yeah, tied for uh, best home record in the NBA, I heard, with the uh, with the Spurs. Or just a half game behind the better, Spurs. Better so believe for it. this next part for the for the preview, <clears throat> what I think we should do is let's just let's let's say who the teams are, and then let's just pick a record, and then let's dive right into uh, the interview. Yeah, absolutely. We got Jordan Malley from Locked On Bulls helping us to preview the Bulls game. Uh, so first Wednesday the seventh, uh, the Wolves take on the Cleveland Cavaliers at the Quicken Loans Arena. Uh, they take on the Bulls Friday the ninth. 
Kings Sunday the 11th. So three games, uh, guys. Three zero. The Cavs are in shambles right now. Three zero. I'm going. I'm going three zero on this as well. Two and one, and somehow we're going to get let down. I don't know which game it's going to be. Probably the. I mean, I don't think losing to the Cavs in Cleveland's a letdown necessarily. We're not going to lose to the Kings at home. We go thirteen in a row at home. I don't know how we lose. And we don't lose to the Bulls Ugh, unless we'll if, I will say this. If Chris Dunn plays a Chris Dunn revenge game where he puts up 40 on Jeff Teague and the Wolves and the Wolves lose, that's the only way I potentially see us going to somebody. Is somebody Jimmy, better well, give Jeff Teague some we'll smelling salts before the, the start of that game and say, wake up, buddy, because this young buck's going to come we'll have after to leave you. him, leave him in Chicago or leave him in Cleveland and tell him to find his way to Chicago. I'm I'm not dealing with Chris Dunn having anything more than 10 points against Jimmy Butler revenge. That's what we're looking for. So let's get into that interview. Yeah. Uh, So this is uh, our interview uh, from a little bit earlier with Jordan Malley from locked on bulls. As we preview the uh, wolves versus the bulls. All right. So previewing the week ahead, we get into the bulls coverage here and we are going to be bringing on Jordan Malley. He is the host of locked on bulls, which you can hear on this fine network dash radios, nothing but net channel. Jordan, thanks for coming in and joining us tonight. Yay, fellas. How are you guys doing? Good, good. So Chicago has been a completely different animal in terms of comparing to the Timberwolves. Uh, The Bulls kind of went into rebuild mode, and we saw that on draft night back in 2017 when the blockbuster trade, the trade of the night, you could even say, was Jimmy Butler and the, I think it was what the 15th overall pick Rob, is that right? Which turned into Justin Patton, uh, 17, 17 for Chris Dunn, Zach Levine and the wolves pick, which turned into Lowry Markinen. Uh, Jordan, a lot of wolves fans up here were incredibly happy with this deal. Sad to see Zach Levine go happy to get rid of Chris Dunn. What was the, the other side of the fencer in, in Chicago? What were bulls fans thinking, uh, when this trade went through? Yeah, I think it's funny because the majority of the fan base sat back and were like, okay, we just got, we got hosed on this deal. I mean, you're bringing in Chris Dunn, who had an awful rookie year, and you're bringing in a guy that just tore his ACL in February of that year. And then you take Lowry Markinen at number seven. And I think the kicker of it all was both fans were more irritated that they ended up giving up their first round pick in addition to this trade. So I think for the majority of the fan base, they were like, what are we doing here? But I think it's funny because my co-host Matt Peck and I, both when we were sitting there post NBA draft in 2017, back in late June, we both kind of looked at each other and said, you know what? We're, we're okay with this because the one thing that we had been clamoring for, for years now was for Gar Foreman and John Paxson to pick a direction. And they meddled for a long time. Didn't really thought, think that Jimmy Butler could be the guy to take over a team, be a number one on the team. Rather, they were just kind of sticking it out, seeing what was going to go on. See if they can be competitive enough. Um, they got enough noise from the fan base and um, hanging out in mediocrity for the last two years, I think finally summed everything up. And so now you look at how those, those, all three of those pieces, ended up turning out Chris Dunn and Lowry Markkinen, obviously playing way higher expectations than we all thought coming in. Um, Chris Dunn looks super exciting. And I know for Wolves fans, he was a disappointment in his first year. And also you add that to Lowry Markkinen and what he's done this year in his rookie year and how he's progressed as a player and only 20 years old. And then you add Zach Levine back into the mix. And I'm a big, I, I'm, I'm ready to 
live and die on the Zach Levine Hill. I don't know about you guys and how you guys felt as Timberwolves fans, but I'm, I'm super excited to see him come back and be fully, fully ready to go and be a part of uh, what the bulls are doing here. So I think the fan base for the majority was all, all against this trade and over at locked on bulls on Twitter. You can see, I have a thread going of everybody who hated Lowry Markkinen at number seven. So you guys can enjoy that. But overall now <laughs> it looks like a pretty decent trade for both sides. You know, it's funny. You mentioned Lowry Markkinen at draft time. That was my guy. That was who I wanted the wolves to take. If we were keeping that pick, we really liked him on the show. I was such a big fan of his at Arizona. I just loved his game. There were obviously some question marks, you know, he could shoot, but there were question marks about his defense. What have you seen on that end from Lowry Markkinen? I think the biggest thing is he moves his feet way faster than I think anybody thought he could as a big man. I mean, he's seven one and he moves, he moves just as well as Kristaps Porzingis. I think he does. And you know what? The guy's only 20 years old too. I think that's the craziest part of all of this. Um, his defense, his effort on, on the boards and his confidence level is at an all time high. I think it's crazy when you look at guys first year in their league, um, guys that are under 23 years old, they come into the league. Some come in scared. Some are very hesitant. Some don't want to make mistakes. You could even point to Chris Dunn and how he felt like every little mistake was just a notch on him. And it was a lot of pressure and Lowry Markin hasn't played that way at all. And I think the biggest factor of it all was kind of, it was kind of a surprise that the Bobby Portis, Nico Miritich fight ended up turning out to be the best thing possible for Lowry Markin. And he got the opportunity to start right away. He's been playing with the utmost confidence. And I can't say that enough about a young guy who was asked to do a whole lot and the expectations were relatively low for him. And I think Bulls fans have been surprised and the defensive end of things. And even his rebounding too. a lot of people knocked him for not being a very great rebounder. I think his effort on the boards has been fantastic. And I'll repeat it again. He's only 20 years old and the confidence level is just oozing from Lowry Markkinen. Yeah. He's got, he's got a long ways to go but he's, he's, you can see the progress being made as you go uh, throughout the season. Even, you know, as we hit the halfway mark, you look at his numbers now versus where he was at the beginning and you can see the market improvement. And like you said, he's getting that starting time moving uh, to another seven foot uh, seven footer here on the bulls, Robin Lopez. He's been the, the subject of a lot of trade rumors here recently, um, especially, you know, getting, getting that, that young core, and rebuilding with some more pieces uh, from what you've seen. Do you see Robin Lopez getting moved here within the next couple of days before the deadline? Honestly, that's been the biggest question outside of whether or not Nico Miritich was actually going to command a first round pick. And you see that he got the, the bulls got what they wanted in their first round pick. They had to take on Omer Sheik's contract. I think this is the most interesting part of it all. I don't think the bulls are super pressed to move Robin Lopez. They've said over and over again, John Paxton has repeated it this season that he feels like Robin Lopez's ability to be a leader in that locker room and have that veteran presence. He feels like that's, that's an intangible that you can't get for many guys. And while you look around the league with young guys and building your team, the majority of your team around guys that might maybe are 25 and younger, you see the struggles that some locker rooms are having and the ability to not get too low or not get too high. So I think if there isn't a deal in place where the bulls are, are bringing back a young asset or bringing back a first round pick, 
Um, I don't see him getting moved and I don't think the bulls are really, they're that concerned if they don't move him, I would look, maybe look at more guys like Justin holiday and Jerry and grant to be moved. But certainly there are teams around the league that do need a center that can command a lot of minutes. He he's, uh, he's an above average rebounder as a center too in the league and high quality guy, high, high character guy. And I think for a lot of these teams that are trying to compete and need some kind of veteran presence, I think Robin Lopez's contract and the type of person he is and the player that he is could benefit a lot of teams. Now, whether or not that garners a first round pick even late between 20 and 30, that I'm not sure of, but it will definitely be interesting. And I'll be sad to see him go if he does get traded. Speaking of the trade deadline, are there any players you think the bulls are maybe looking at to acquire? I know I saw something out of Utah that you guys had interest in Rodney hood. Uh, maybe speak on him or any other names that you think maybe you guys would be targeting, maybe like buy low candidates, guys that could maybe contribute down the road. Yeah, I think, I, I think there's a few names out there and um, it's interesting enough that you did bring up Rodney hood. We Matt and I talked about it on our episode today on locked on bulls about maybe there's a possible interest for Rodney hood. I don't think there would be a lot that the bulls would get up, give up in order to get him. It would be more be like Utah clearing cap space and kind of sort of done with a guy like that. Um, I would look around the league though. I would, I would be sure that the bulls are probably calling Portland asking them what, what the deal is with Mo Harkless. Um, maybe they can get a deal done where they can get Portland can get out of underneath the contract of Myers Leonard, who's getting DNP coaches decisions left and right here. And he's on a $10 million contract. I think he's owed like 30 million over the next two years. Uh, the ability for the bulls to, to stretch out Omer Sheik's contract, I think is really key when looking around the league and seeing what the bulls could acquire in, in terms of salary dump. So Omer Sheik's contract can be stretched out over five years at $2.9 million. And you know, with the bulls, there are, there's still under the cap floor at over 5 million right now, even taking on his contract this year. So I think if the bulls are advantageous enough and there are teams aggressive enough out there to dump some salaries, the bulls could pick up some really nice young assets. I'm even looking at maybe the Washington wizards who, like you said, um, there are teams out there that are looking for centers and Robin Lopez could be a piece that they're looking for. Maybe they'll, maybe they could attach a guy like Justin holiday or Jerry and grant, and maybe they'll even take on that Jan Mahini contract which could possibly bring a guy like Kelly Oubre if they're not willing to part with a first round pick, um, something like that to that degree. So I would say keeping tabs on Portland, keeping tabs on Washington, and even looking 90 minutes north of Chicago at Milwaukee. And Milwaukee just lost Malcolm Brogdon for six to eight weeks. Um, that's certainly a place that Justin Holiday could fit right in. He's sort of a three and D, like your broke man's three and D wing guy. Um, he could help deliver some three-point shooting off the bench. Um, you could even toss in Jerry and Grant's name in there as well as a cheap option for Milwaukee. So there's a lot of moves that could be made for the Bulls. It just depends on how advantageous they are of taking on salary dumps and talked about the Jan Mahini contract. And it depends really on how far they're willing to go out with this, because there are a lot of teams that are willing to dump contracts. Uh, firstly, let me say we have a uh, Shabazz Muhammad if you're interested, uh, but on top of that, <laughs> what's, what's going to happen with Tony Allen? Are you guys, is he going to be cut? Are you going to look to trade him? What do you think is going to happen there? So I think if the bulls don't make a deal for him and if they don't, if they don't find a tradable partner there, I think they'll probably be more advantageous to keep on um, Jameer Nelson and probably cut Tony Allen. But like John Paxton had said, said after they made the deal for Nico Miritich, kind of interesting because they said, you know, maybe we're going to cut Tony Allen right away. 
And they ended up not doing that. They kind of went back on that and said, you know what, maybe, maybe there are deals in place where they can stick Tony Allen in a deal or stick Jameer Nelson in a deal to kind of make contracts fit. So if, if the bulls end up going past February 8th and it comes to Friday when the bulls and Timberwolves tip off, I think you'll probably see either Jameer Nelson or Tony Allen cut my, my, my indication is probably going to be Tony Allen and they'll keep Jameer Nelson around just because you don't know really what you're going to get in Cameron Payne once he gets back. And if they do decide to deal Jerry and Grant, you obviously need somebody to play um, point guard minutes out there. And I don't, I'm not really sure when Chris Dunn's going to come back and I don't think they're going to rush him at all. So I would say probably more likely if they don't deal him, he'll be cut. What are your, I guess, speaking of the Miritich trade, what are your overall uh, views of that trade? Did you like it? Did you not like it? I'll say I was at his first game with the Pelicans, and man, he that guy can shoot the three. Yeah, man, I'll say this. I am absolutely shocked that they got as high of a first-round pick as they did from the Pelicans. And that's saying that they had to take on the Omira sheet contract, which is fine because over the last three, four weeks, Matt and I extensively talked about Nico Miritich's value and how it's not as high as it, it's been as high as ever for Nico Miritich in his situation and coming off a, a, a situation where your teammate breaks your face. You miss the first six weeks of the season. Um, basically the locker room is split beyond those guys. I think there was two facets to this, to, to his trade and the value that the bulls ended up getting for him. First of all was Miritich's personality. It seemed like there was a flip in his personality where he really didn't care at this point. He was going to go out there and say that he was the best player on the bulls. And the reason why they were on that win streak and winning all these games was because he was out there. Um, I think that was a complete flip from what you saw when Jimmy Butler was here and Tom Thibodeau. And there's a long history between Nico and Jimmy. Um, that isn't very good. So I think it was, it was, it was a phenomenal job by the front office who has had a history of terrible trades, um, i.e. the OKC trade for Cameron Payne and sending Doug McDermott there and Taj Gibson uh, last season. So I, I was floored and I am excited that the bulls were able to pull off a potential deal where they could get a pick anywhere between 12 and 20, where I thought they were only going to get it. They were going to the best deal out there that they were going to get was between 25 and 30. And that was stretching it. Let's uh, let's take a look ahead here to Friday night's game uh, at the United center in Chicago, uh, where the bulls take on the wolves. Now the bulls currently at the time of this recording are on a six game losing streak. Uh, They play the Kings a little bit later on Monday night in Sacramento. Hopefully that's the game that can get them out of the streak, but let's, let's take a look at this bulls game. The bulls come in allowing 109, basically 109 points per game, which is fun because that's what the wolves average per game Uh, for, for wolves fans that aren't familiar with the Eastern conference rival that should be the Chicago bulls. What can wolves fans expect from this bulls team? I would say it's going to be a mix of things. It, I would say first and foremost, it depends on if, if Chris Dunn ends up playing later this week. I, I would, I would lean at the caution of probably he won't play on Friday. Um, that's barring that things go better than expected, but I would say he probably is going to get held out in still probably the, the extension of the all-star game. We might see him after the all-star game. So then that pretty much puts you at Jerry and Grant starting there. And then Lowry Markkinen will be back on Friday. He missed his flight. Um, there was some, 
terrible weather here in Chicago, actually, and he had missed his flight, so they weren't going to fly him out to Sacramento today. So uh, you'll see Lowry Markinen back, and I think that's going to be a guy that's going to be a whole a whole ton of fun to watch um, for Wolves fans who maybe thought they were going to get him at number seven before that Jimmy Butler flip. But I think the biggest storyline of this whole entire thing is Jimmy Butler's return, Taj Gibson's return, first time to the United Center. And now the growing, the the growing conversation, I I feel like over the last two weeks or so is what kind of, what kind of reaction are fans going to have to Jimmy Butler at the United center? Because now it seems like there's a lot of fans of Derek Rose. And there was a lot of fans of Nico Miritich um, that didn't exactly have the best feelings about Butler. And I was a huge Butler fan when he he was here, but outside of that, um, they're talking about booze for Jimmy Butler, which I think is the most ridiculous thing in the world. The guy was single-handedly one of the best players on this team for three, four seasons. Um, the way he worked with Tom Thibodeau, I think it would just be insane if Bulls fans, and I would be honestly disappointed in our fan base if Bulls fans went out there and booed Jimmy Butler at the United Center, like uh, the Pacers did to Paul George earlier on this season. So I think there's going to be a ton of sub headlines here. And believe me, I, I would say I would not be surprised if Jimmy Butler went off for 45 or 50 points at the United Center. Yeah, this is 100% a, a Jimmy Butler revenge game, whether he admits to it or not. I know, you know, with the, with the Bulls coming here, uh, to target center in Minneapolis uh, towards the tail end of the month. Obviously wolves fans here adored Zach Levine. Most didn't love Chris Dunn, but you know, Zach Levine is the guy that's going to get the standing. O when he comes back and, and the feelings are pretty clear, but at least from a wolves fan perspective, we've never really gotten the sense. We always thought that, you know, the fans really liked Jimmy and that it was more, management's ineptitude and inability to, you know, kind of build around him properly, especially once the whole D Rose debacle went down. Uh, you know, what, what are your expectations in this game? I mean, you know, you said that Chris Dunn may be held out, uh, but you know, Zach should play. And, and I mean, what do you expect out of this? Do you think it's going to be a close game? Uh, I doubt it. I honestly doubt it. I think, I think there'll be, there'll be high energy level. The problem with the bulls of recently, especially is coming out to flat starts. I mean, we talked about it over this six game losing streak. The bulls have scored less than 20 points in five of those six games. The one game that they scored over 20 points in that first quarter was against the Lakers. And they were down seven at the, after the first quarter, they were down 15 at half. So Zach Levine has, has been very vocal about this too. He said that, he wants the team to figure it out in the first five, six minutes of the game. He said, we can't continuously just go through the motions. And even with Chris Dunn and Lowry marketing it out, we've got to have guys that are going to step up and are going to give that energy. And he even talked about it. He said, you know, we get punched in the face early on and we're willing to throw some punches back. But by the time we're at that point where we're calling back, you know, it's too late. And the bulls did it again over the weekend against the Clippers. They, they went into the fourth quarter only down six and they gave up a 13 to four run and played terrible defense in the first four minutes of that fourth quarter. And then they were down 15 with a blink of the eye. So I think if the bulls can get out to a good start, if Lowry marketing does come back and play, I think it's going to be interesting at least for the first half, but believe me, I know Jimmy Butler had this game circled for a long time and he's going to want to light it up and give them a show, especially the, all the animosity that him in the front office had. And I, I think the thing that sours people the most here in Chicago was this final year Jimmy Butler had with Dwayne Wade and Rondo 
And I'll be honest with you. And I'll be very frank that I think Jimmy Butler picked up a lot of bad tendencies from Dwayne Wade, not on the court, but more off the court and how to be a leader. And I think that's where Jimmy struggled the most was how to be a leader as a number one on the team. And I think Dwayne Wade for a lot of that time rubbed off a lot of bad things about him. And those younger guys didn't, didn't really take that that well, i.e. Rob, uh, right. Rajon Rondo's Instagram post. So I, I think there there's a lot of mixed feelings, especially if people are fans of Derek Rose and didn't like the way he was outed uh, back in 2015, 2016. I think there was also that power struggle between Fred Hoiberg and Jimmy Butler. And ultimately the front office picked Fred Hoiberg over Jimmy Butler. And obviously he can be salty about that too. I would be salty as well. Cause I thought Jimmy Butler, when he left on trade night was a top 15 player in the NBA. You know, you mentioned Fred Hoiberg. What are your thoughts on him as a coach? You know, obviously we've all seen him uh, kind of as he progressed with the Bulls. Before that, he was solid with Iowa State, was able to really take some kind of diamonds in the rough and and take those teams pretty deep uh, in college basketball. What are your thoughts uh, of him with the Bulls? So I thought the first two seasons, especially with the Derrick Rose ending, that era ending, and then last season with signing Rondo and signing Wade and having Butler around still, um, I thought the front office put Fred Hoiberg in a terrible position in his first two seasons. Um, That on top of knowing basically Fred Hoiberg was going to be the coach of the Chicago Bulls team like a season and a half before Tom Thibodeau ended up being fired. Um, So I think there was a lot of pressure on Fred Hoiberg to do things he wasn't comfortable to do. And it's also at the same time, I talk about it too. It's like young players developing in the league as well as young coaches. I think they have, they have to take their licks and they have to understand what goes and what doesn't as far as college basketball and taking that step up. I think you combine all of that and you combine what happened last year with Dwayne Wade, Rajon Rondo and Jimmy Butler, the power struggle that was there and Fred not being the type of vocal leader. I think that Tom Thibodeau is a guy that's going to scream till his face is purple on the side. Fred Hoiberg had such a different tactic and I think Jimmy Butler just didn't play well to that. Um, so you take that in all of comp- combination, they decide to rebuild uh, in this, this summer and you see, that the bulls finally played to Fred Hoiberg's strength. So this is where I think Fred Hoiberg has taken a shift as a coach. And I think he can be a guy that if he figures out how to deal with stars, when the bulls decide to, to bring a star in on a max deal, maybe two, three years down the road, I think that's really his only, his only biggest flaw is not being able to command um, a big ego in that locker room, but th- that's not to say things can't change there. So I've been really impressed with what Fred Hoiberg's been able to do. He's gotten all those guys in that locker room to buy into what he's doing and play as a team. And I think that's the biggest, most important thing. And that's one of Fred Hoiberg's biggest strengths in college. He got guys to buy in. Now it's just a matter of when these guys mature and they become stars or you start to bring in stars, can he transform with those guys and be that vocal leader that the bulls need in that locker room? So from what you know, at this point in time, is it pretty safe to say that uh, the bulls front office is going to roll with Fred Hoiberg in in the future and, and kind of keep him around? Or do you think he may be on the hot seat? Uh, I think for right now, I think he's definitely going to play out that the, the last two years of this contract where the bulls sit, I guess at the end of uh, would say 2019, 2020, when his contract is up, I think you see where the bulls are at. If they're ahead of schedule, which I mean, right now we look at this team in year rebuild year one, they're already ahead of schedule. So I think for right now, he definitely plays out his contract two years. Um, after that, I would say if the bulls are able to land a star, if these players are progressing, if Chris Dunn looks like 
a potential all-star down the road, if Lowry marketing is a potential all-star down the road, if you get the very best out of Zach Levine and guys are sort of advocating for Fred Hoiberg, I think you see him stick around even longer. I said it before, I said it even last year when Fred Hoiberg struggled, I said, you know, this isn't a situation where Fred Hoiberg got the best opportunity right off the bat. He was throwing a lot of bad things at him. Um, so I thought he was going to get a job, even if the Bulls decided to fire him before rebuilding. I thought he was going to stay in the NBA and go be a head coach somewhere else where his system fit the best. So I would say he's not on the hot seat at all. And if if there's anything, he's taking that, he's taking sort of a pivot towards that next step of being a very good coach in the NBA. We'll just see how he gets his players to continue to buy in maybe a season from now or even two seasons from now. All right, Rob, you got anything else for him? All right. Uh, Jordan, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate you having you. We'll give you uh, your, your time here to plug the great show Locked on Bulls. Yeah, so if you guys are curious about what the Chicago Bulls are doing, Matt Tech and myself produce a show five times a week. You can hear it live on Dash Radio, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, Get our podcast, the podcast version of the show, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. Um, Locked on Bulls, we have a ton of great guests. So even if you're curious, about what's going on in Chicago, maybe how Chris Dunn is developing or what Zach Levine is doing. Um, great content there. So locked on bulls on social media as well. Guys, this was fun. Um, I'm excited. I'll be at the game live on uh, Friday night. So I'll definitely have to keep you guys up to date and see how that, uh, how that reunion goes between Taj Gibson, Jimmy Butler and the Chicago fan base. Yeah. Can't wait to see it again. Jordan Malley. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, bud. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. So thank you again to Jordan Malley for the interview. Again, you can check out his show locked on bulls here on uh, dash radio. Let's get into quickly the Iowa wolves. Uh, they are uh, uh, Rob. I know you're, you're following them a lot closer than really anybody seems to. I don't see a lot of it on my Twitter feed uh, covering the Iowa wolves, but over the last couple of games, Rob, how have they been doing playing really well us uh, so over the last week? Uh, two and one was their record. They started off uh, a game against the Texas legends. The Texas legends are, are they're a decent team. Uh, we, we do find a way to win in this one, one twelve, one Oh five, just, you know, some players they have Jonathan Motley has been a really solid player this season. Uh, Wade Baldwin's another guy that they have. Um, you know, these are some decent players. Uh, when you're so looking Motley, at this, Motley is from, he played, I think it was Baylor. Correct. And then Wade Baldwin. I mean, played last year significant minutes with the Grizzlies. Yep. But I mean this is a I mean this is a nice this is a nice game. Uh Justin Patton, 19 points, 12 rebounds, two assists. You you're starting to see him play uh kind of at a different level. Neil Jefferson keeps doing what he's been doing as the league's leading rebounder, 19 points, 12 rebounds. Uh so this is a really solid win. Um but to really get into uh a nice stretch here the next two games, so you're talking about uh, when we played Oklahoma City. So we played them uh, in two games. First game, the Iowa Wolves did lose 111-97. to But that, you know, the Oklahoma City team, that's a decent team. So, you, I mean, it's one of those games where, you know, you can have a downer, but it still get uh, good performances from players. Emil Jefferson, 23 points. Anthony Brown, 21 points. Anthony Brown has been just solid. 
And if it weren't for the fact that we just don't have the space, we don't have the minutes, I think he would have been called up by now. Because he's arguably, if he's not the best player in the G League, he's probably top five, top ten. He's been just been putting on a show. Um, Justin Patton, obviously, he struggled a bit in this game. He only played six minutes. So, uh, you know, that's something to watch because consistently he normally obviously plays more. Am I, if, if I'm not mistaken, this is a game he actually, like, it, he, like, had a contusion to the same it, foot yes. that he had surgery on. Yep, so it's precautionary. Well, then it probably hurt like hell. Yep. I mean, I mean you can't it, take chances with that guy. If anybody's had surgery on a bone that's been broken or just anywhere that you've had surgery, if you get hit with any force in or around that area, I mean, that's going to hurt. You're yep, not. No question. <laughs> it's a sensitive area. Yep. No question. Yep. No, I agree. And that's so then you move. You're looking at that game and you obviously want to be able to come back stronger. Uh, although shout out, by the way, in that game, shout out to a guy that we've talked about in the past. Elijah Millsap. Yes. Elijah baller. Millsap, 30 points, uh, nine rebounds. The guy was, fi- you know, really on fire from all over the place. Five of eight from the three point line. I mean, you can't ask for much better than that. So you definitely get some good production out of some players. But again, Justin Patton has become a key cog. So for him to only be able to play six minutes, they don't have great depth at the center position. Uh, you know, that hurts. So we move on to the, the last game in this stretch here, where again, you play the Wolves uh, versus the Oklahoma City team. And the Wolves just dominated this game. 117 to 90, never in question. You know, we talk about how important Justin Patton is, and he shows it again here, 19 points, six rebounds, two assists. One thing I will mention about Justin Patton, watch his game. So watch these games on Facebook. They're free. You can watch some of the past games too, so you can watch replays. And he can pass the basketball. That's one of those things that I don't think everyone realized with him coming out of college. Decent passer, but you're really seeing it now with the Iowa Wolves. But the story of this game, and Aaron, we talked about this off air, Melo Tremble with the triple-double. 20 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds. Again, if it wasn't for the fact that point guard's not a need here, I could see him being brought up. Plus 28. In I'm a little surprised minus. someone else hasn't kind of gone after him to give him a 10-day or give him a, a two-way contract because we don't have him under contract. So he's fair game. I, and he's played so well. Uh, one thing I want to talk about with Justin Patton, now prior to him this going back to the last game, uh, when he basically had to leave the game due to just a minor contusion back to his foot. I'd noticed him moving a lot quicker. His decision-making. This is something we discussed on the howl here. When he first made his D league appearance, I said, Hey, he just looks slow. Looked like getting into his offensive sets, getting into his position and his moves were all just, you know, it was like, he's at three, four speed. Mm -hmm. Now, when you see him, those passes that Rob's talking about, Chris, it's it's intuitive. I mean, it's happening instinctual. Um, I'm liking the pro- progress. Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I don't see him ever playing for the Wolves this season. Mm-hmm. He's not needed. You know, I, if I you trade Jang. That changes. If you find a taker for Jang, I could see that changing. Maybe I would see Emil Jefferson playing ahead of Jang and we try to get a little small ball and, and get that three going. If he was taller, he'd be, he'd be in this league right now. Yeah. So anyways, that's my two cents. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap it up and get into the second quarter here. We've got a lot to talk about some, uh, some breaking trade news, uh, more NBA topics, as well as everybody's favorite Howell hot takes coming up 
quarter two. You are listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net Channel and The Howl. Quarter two of The Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net Channel. This is our talker segment where we run over everything NBA, Wolves, WNBA, uh, whatever comes up to mind. We're going to start tonight because these are always my favorite. Rob Hess and the Howl Hot Takes. Rob, take it away. Hit him with the hot takes. Hit him with the hot takes. Yeah, we got some good we got some good ones this week. So um this was in response to Waj. Uh they were talking about the Tyron Lu not being fired bit. And this is at D Kurz78, whose name is me. Poor Cavs and King James. This is what happens when a big headed, overrated player that has been built by the media is allowed to act as the GM of your team. LeBron is a team killer, but I bet it's not his fault. Hashtag overrated. Like, come on, seriously? Yikes. <laughs> LeBron is a team killer. Yeah, that's why he's got GM titles. Of your team. We're going to talk about that later, but th- that's not what he is. Is it hard to be overrated when most of all basketball players or people that used to play basketball refer to him as the best player? Well, like, how can in you be basketball? overrated when he's arguably the one player in NBA history to come into the league with expectations and meet them? It's so rare. Yep to have those kind of expectations, you know, kind of hoist on your shoulders and to come in and actually be that good. So I don't know. Moving on here uh, at J Marthaler. So John Marthaler is this guy's name. I've watched the Timberwolves play decades of terrible basketball. And I tell you hands on heart, hand on heart that I have never seen a worse player than Jeff Teague who lost a game to the league's worst team all by himself. Like seriously, the wor- like has he really watched d- decades of terrible basketball? Because <laughs> because if he has, there's been some bad ones. I'm sorry, Jeff Teague, the worst play. Like what? Did he not watch JJ Barea? Did he not watch no Leslie no no Johnson? Don't. Did he not watch? Hold I mean, on, seriously, JJ Barea. Anybody can hand JJ Barea. He doesn't even make the short list of worst basketball players that have played for the Wolves. Who Teague? No, Brea or Teague, neither. Well, Brea does. Can... Brea does. Fine. Yes. Uh, how about how about uh, how about this? This guy is a soccer columnist, and in his Twitter bio, it says, "P.S. I am not a crackpot." Yeah, whatever, buddy. So he it. needs to remove that out of his. But, uh, but anyways, but no, I'm sorry, but Jeff Teague is not the worst. Pl- Come on, what are we even doing here? Uh, so moving on, at Broncos back fifty two. Oh my gosh! F the Pats. This is terrible. Rose is the best backup point guard in the NBA. And if not, he's close. I want to know what you're snorting. And this was in response to uh, uh, another post where someone was pointing out, you know, that, that obviously Rose isn't that good. Cause he's not like, what are it's like, is this a joke? I'm surprised anybody's even engaging either side of that argument in any type of conversation. I mean, why I haven't seen Derek Rose play a basketball game where it was either a meaningful game or he did something meaningful in it outside of just maybe score a couple buckets. I mean, the amount of people that are better than Rose is, is very large. It's an absolute non-issue other than the fact that the guy was a number one pick, a league MVP. I mean, was a, a total stud. I mean, he's been decimated by injuries. I, I honestly feel bad for him. He's definitely, he gives it a go. I mean, how many times has he yeah. tried to make a comeback? And it just doesn't work. Yep. Agreed. And the, the worst part about it is his style of play is not conducive at, at all of, of some players. They're able to evolve and adapt as the age. His, his style of play is not one of them. Agreed. Agreed. Now, last one here. 
This is actually from the official Cleveland Cavaliers uh, Twitter account. Oh, Traffic boy. alert for Cavs Wolves beginning Wednesday. So the day of the game, Huron Road in front of the Q Arena from Ontario Street to East 6th Street will be reduced to two lanes. Both lanes will co- convert to one-way directional traffic. Delays are expected. Why would you start whatever that like construction is the day of a Cavs game? What? Why would you do that? Beyond stupid. No, I, 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 I thought for the longest time that nobody had great road closures like MnDOT. Right. But uh, we were wrong. I guess you could call them ODOT. As you were reading that, I was waiting for some witty punchline of like the Cavs trolling us, like nope. one way for Cavs wins only or something lame. You know what I mean? Just I stupid know. road construction. I don't know. I found it fascinating. Hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. It's like when the water pipe bursts under Nicollet Mall and everybody's yeah, that's true. Flooded. <laughs> you don't really get a choice in the matter. Sometimes you do. You do what you can. Uh, moving on. Hit him with the hot take. Hit him with the hot take. Speaking of. Tyus Jones being uh, a great backup point guard and Jeff Teague being the worst ever, uh, according to crackpots. Uh, let's get into the Tyus versus Teague debate here, guys. Yeah, one guy that's uh, that's really jumped in on this is uh, Andrew Bailey, and he's a guy that uh, works for NBA Math. For you guys that are familiar with that, so the top ten players in real plus minus a minimum of five hundred minutes. It's a lot of the names you'd expect: Chris Paul, James Harden. Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler, DeMarcus Cousins, Russell Westbrook, Victor Oladipo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and at number nine, Ty Jones. Yeah. I mean, that's no small feat. I mean, that's one of those stats that I feel like, so real plus minus is one of the stats that I feel like is almost like universally accepted as like a really good stat. Uh, Agree. And the, here's the thing with this. It, it's over the, uh, you know, and some would ask, well, what's the sample size? minimum 500 minutes yeah so it's not some small like you know couple game sample size you know take this into account to to get 500 minutes that's 20 games at 25 minutes a game or 20 minutes and you've played 25 games that's a lot of games so far where we haven't even hit the all-star break so i would take this as a very good indicator of the level in which tyus jones has been playing it's exceptional in the right deal. <clears throat> I think you would move Teague, but again, I think people undersell Jeff Teague too much. He's, he's underrated at this stage, especially by wolves fans, but let's go into the uh, kind of a better comparison, like looking at the two guys specifically. So when Jeff Teague is on the floor, Jimmy Butler averages 20.2 points, 5.3 rebounds, 4.4 assists per 36. When Tyus Jones is on the floor, Jimmy Butler averages 22.8 points. So two more points. Uh, same rebounds, 5.3, but he averages almost two more assists. Uh, and these are all uh, the per 36 numbers. That way it's obviously even. When, when Jeff Teague is on the floor, Carl Towns averages 19.8 points, 12.2 rebounds, 2.4 assists. Um, with Tyus Jones, he gets you know two points more. Rebounds and assists are basically the same. But again, you're just seeing he's playing better with Tyus on the floor. And last but not least, Andrew Wiggins, 17 points, 3.9 rebounds, 1.8 assists. But with Tyus Jones, it's significant. I mean, you really see it. 21 points, so four more points, uh, five rebounds a game. So I know it's only 1.1, but to me, rebounding is a stat where even if you just go up one or two, it's big. So for him to be at five plus rebounds is huge. Two assists per 36, so not a huge difference there. Overall, Minnesota is outscoring opponents 
by 7.3 more points per 100 possessions when Jones is on the floor as opposed to T. That's these are significant differences. Yes, they, they really are. And the significant difference that you're referring to, it's visible. Watching a broadcast, watching the game in person, you can see the ball is crisper. It's moving faster. They're engaging into the offense sooner in the shot clock. It's been mentioned by uh, the play-by-play team of Dave Benz and uh, Jim Peterson. We've heard that. We've seen it. It's a real thing. Yeah, and it really is. I mean, there's 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 not too much to say on this subject. In all in all honesty, I think I think we should move along here and get to another piece of big wolves news. Shabazz Muhammad has either requested uh, to be released or be traded before the February 8th deadline. Guys, this wasn't really a surprise. Uh, Shabazz landed in the Thibs doghouse and never really was able to get out uh, when he's not, uh, you know, leaving his significant other or uh, uh, call girls behind on road trips. Uh, he was, you could, he could be seen riding the edge of benches and playing a whopping six seconds a game if he's lucky. So, which is understandable why he wants out. Do you yep. guys think that Thibs will honor the request and trade or release him before the deadline? He gone. I think he's gone, but yep. it's not Bye, so much. Felicia. It's not so much him Thibs honoring it. It's whether or not if they can find any bit of a trade package. I don't think it's a would, trade. I think he gets cut. And well, I think it's going to be because he declines his player option. Because that saves us almost $2 million for next year. Well, I didn't get a chance to finish, Rob. But what I was about to say was if they get traded, that's unlikely. But the likely scenario that I see is that they buy out his contract, which it's not much at all. Mm-hmm. And then he's waived by the team. Yep. I think that's the way to go. I mean, if you can, granted, if you can get like a second round pick or something, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. I don't think a lot of teams would be willing to Someone's give up gonna pick him up, though. Pick. I think it's fair to say, uh, you know, I, I um, was talking to a Nets fan recently. And he was—he's big on the Boz train. He wants Boz to be a net. I think that would make a lot of sense. I could see the team like the Nets giving him a chance, giving him minutes. I mean, in all honesty, he's though, only twenty-five. How crazy was this? We went from like a four-year extension offer to Boz that he turned down to now potentially being bought out the next year before the deadline. He's yep. never had it this season. You know, I've seen a lot of his off-season moves. I mean, he spent the entire off-season basically traveling, doing fashion shows where in off seasons before he had spent out on the West coast. Um, no, I mean, he's still put in the work training. I I don't he know. In, no, he did, man. As, as Boz is number one guy, it, the off season is where he shines. Oh, okay. All right. Let's, let's move on down here. This is an article that I actually found today scrolling through Twitter. Um, a guy that I've really, really liked reading here over the last few weeks and have have read a lot of his articles, Shea Serrano uh, from the ringer, uh, what the first shots by future NBA stars predicted about their career. Um, So it's just a look at the, the NBA career, their first shot that they took kind of what it says about how they have either played their career or how their career is currently going. So um, for example, Russell Westbrook's first basket came at the free throw line, uh, during the second quarter of his, uh, of his first game. Uh, he, he wasn't a starter. So it was coming off the bench. Uh, Steph Curry had a, uh, a pull up three, um, which ended up rimming out, uh, Kobe. I mean, it talks about a lot of these players and it's, it's kind of cool to see like, you know, a, a pull up three from Steph Curry as a rookie 
you know, what is this guy doing? Who does he think he is? And now Steph Curry is the premier three point shooter. He thinks he's Steph Curry in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. And now like Steph Currying is a thing where you pull, you know, you take these deep threes and, and you drain it. So this is a really cool article to see Uh shout out to the ringer and Chase Serrano for uh, writing this up. Rob, you, did you read a little bit of this article I too? I thought it was very interesting. I just thought they kind of broke down, you know, whether it was Kobe, whether it was LeBron, you know, whether it's, in fact, I watched uh, I watched the video of LeBron's first basket, and it's funny because it's a you know it's basically a breakaway dunk. Yep, uh, my favorite right here. Shea Serrano takes a shot. Um, Kevin Durant's first basket was also a free throw, though it was far less symbolic, which is kind of perfect for Kevin Durant, given that he is the least symbolic superstar in the league. Yep, Shea Serrano taking shots at uh at Kevin Durant. Uh Kobe's first point came during as a Laker came during his second game on a free throw in Madison Square Garden. Uh his final point as a Laker also came at the free throw line. Uh just I it's honestly a really really good article. Um take it take a few moments to read it if you do get the chance. It's it's a long article but it's well worth it. Uh moving along, Rob, the 15 all-time NBA team challenge is sweeping the internet. Well, this is an older, so this is an older one. We've done these in the past, but I was looking for this. We've done some that are more like current players. So this is uh, you have $15 to make an NBA all-time starting lineup. It's from a few years ago, but I still found it kind of fascinating. So, you know, it's the standard point guard, shooting guard, um, small forward, power forward, center. So exactly what you'd think. Um, I just thought we'd break it down and maybe just everyone can kind of decide what they want to do. So if I'm looking at it, there's certain players I think you kind of have to have. Obviously, I think Michael Jordan, right? I think that that's a guy that I definitely have to have on my team. No, come on. I mean, right? I mean, I think MJ. That's so the two guys, if I'm going to spend, because a bum, if I'm going to spend the max money, <laughs> I'm going to grab LeBron and Michael Jordan because I feel like you have really good position flexibility and great defense. And then from there, so you're at ten bucks. You have fifteen dollars total. So you grab two five dollar guys, and obviously. If someone decides to go Magic Johnson for five bucks, I get it. Nothing wrong with that. Once you go five, you have five dollars more to spend. To me, I'm going Kevin Garnett for a dollar. I think that's a no brainer for a dollar. I mean, you can't beat that. Yeah, you just can't beat that value. At that point, I'm probably going to go. I think John Stockton for two bucks. I just like what he brings to the table. And then the last guy at center, Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, how good is that? I mean, I think that's so. John Stockton, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Shaquille O'Neal and Kevin Garnett. That's a winning combination. Rob, I'm 100% in, uh, in agreement with you. Um, the only one on your list that maybe I could swap out and be hundred percent. Okay. With would be Kobe and MJ, but otherwise I completely agree. I love Stockton KG for a buck Shaq for two. Those are steals right there. That's, that's an all time uh, roster that will not lose. How about this one? We'll do. Will Chamberlain for three bucks. Kevin Garnett for four or for one dollar. So I'm at four total. Give me Scotty Pippen for another dollar at small forward. So I'm not taking LeBron James. And then I'm going Jordan and Magic. Like I said, I get going Magic. Because yep, Magic is essentially LeBron. That's not bad at all. Either. And, they, and you got a bigger lineup, better defense because you got Magic, Jordan, Pippen, KG and Wilt. I mean, I, it's hard to pick five better defenders on this list. I was going for that mix. Yep. You know what I mean? Kind of a good defense, good offense kind of thing. 
it's hard to go wrong anyway we cut this yep yeah i agree yep absolutely uh let's move on to our next one here uh it has been announced officially that lindsey whalen is stepping down from usa basketball uh she is still going to play in the wnba but she is stepping down from usa basketball and what a career with team usa i mean she's been so good and obviously this ties in minnesota wise you know it's good news that she's going to stay and play with the Lynx for a few more years but at 35 years old, she's got two Olympic gold medals. There's nothing wrong with stepping down and saying, look, it's, I think it's the young people's turn. People that are, you know, kind of up and coming. Let's, let's see what they have. I agree. I mean, she's accomplished a tremendous amount. She's very well decorated. She'd be 37. The next time the, the Olympics come around for her, um, basketball, it's tough. It's a young man's, your young woman's sport in this case. Um, I think it's a smart move because I think longevity in her career, I could see her coaching the USA team someday. She's such a smart basketball player. Point guards, in my opinion, make the best coaches. Um, I could easily see her coaching the, the team down the road. I can see that. And speaking of the older players, Sue bird, she's 37, Diana Taurasi, 35. They both said they hope to play in the 20, the, the next uh, 2020 Olympics. Amazing. So, I mean, that's, you know, you're talking three players that'd be close to 40 at that point. So that's, I mean, it's the, what I, what I appreciate is in sports, you're definitely seeing more longevity out of certain players, which is pretty cool. Well, Sue Bird would be 39 then. That's, that's an impressive feat right there. Let's, uh, let's move along here. The next one, uh, this is an article uh, that maybe we we would save for the the third quarter normally in our 2k segment but i think this is a good place for it uh nba 2k uh released their latest risers and fallers in the roster update uh no wolves make the list in either direction uh but let's take a look the the largest faller isaiah thomas decreases by 3 points down to an 86 avery avery bradley tony parker mike james and most spates all drop 2 points uh, in their uh, respective overall categories. Uh, the biggest risers uh, goes to Dwight. Is it, is it bucks? Yeah. Dwight bucks. Dwight yeah. bucks. Yeah. Uh, six points up to a 71. Uh, Fred Van Vliet uh, up three along, along with Tyrone Wallace. And then uh, Dwight Howard and Josh Richardson up two points apiece. Yeah, so some good names on that list. I don't disagree with any of these. I, I think uh, Dwight's actually having, for as much as I've been a naysayer of his, had a really good season. And in 2K, they're trying to you know encapsulate real time how that guy is playing at this moment. I think it's completely fair. IT and Avery Bradley, big fallers, big name fallers. Same with Tony Parker. Couldn't agree more. Isaiah Thomas, he's he's not what we're used to seeing, especially compared to last year, he's down. Uh, also congratulations to the 72,000 people that qualified for the NBA 2k league combine out of that 72,000 Aaron 102 will earn roster spots. Amazing. Uh, that, uh, that was as of the 2nd of February. So they are in the process of that, uh, that combine as we speak, Rob, you have something for us. Yeah, so um, just one thing we haven't gone over. We did talk about the All-Star game and and the festivities last week a bit, but I just wanted to go over the All-Star Saturday Night lineup, the players that have actually been announced now. So for the Taco Bell's skill challenge, Joel Embiid, Buddy Heald, 
Lou Williams, uh, Christoph Porzingis, Al Horford, Lowry Markinen, which I'm excited to see that. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Jamal Murray. So some pretty good names there. Cat's uh, not there to try to you know win another title, but I can I can I can get taken a break again. Um, the three point contest: Eric Gordon, Devin Booker, Clay Thompson, Bradley Beal, Wayne Ellington, former Wolf. It's nice to see him there. Kyle Lowry, uh, Tobias Harris, and Paul George. So obviously a pretty good team. And yeah. now you have uh, the Verizon slam dunk. Aaron Gordon was set to be in this, but he has been ta- uh, ruled out with injury. Yeah, hip so, flexor. Yep. So now we're talking Victor Oladipo, Donovan Spider Mitchell, Larry Nance Jr., and Dennis Smith Jr. So some young guns. Victor Oladipo is the only guy that I'm not totally sure of. I mean, he he put on a, a pretty good show when he was against Levine a few years ago. Um, but other than that, I, I do think that you got some good high flyers that could really uh, make for an exciting matchup. Oladipo, I think, can win this thing if he doesn't try some. You know, I feel like that his first go, he did a little bit too crazy with the antics, which caused him to miss some dunks and get tired. Um, I don't know. It, you know, with Aaron Gordon going out, I do like the Donovan Donovan Mitchell Mitchell substitution. Agreed. I mean, he could be that dark horse guy. He could have a big week, weekend because he's in the skills challenge as well. And I actually like his odds to win the skills challenge. Time will tell. Yeah, this should be a fun uh, all-star weekend for uh, for everybody involved, especially the fans. That does it for the first half show. Stay tuned for the second half coming later this week on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere great podcasts are found. You can listen to us on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel on Wednesdays from 2 to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central.